Hi guys, this is Kaylin Hart. Welcome to today's episode of In the Spray Room, the podcast of Sold Magazine. NYC's Street Art Insiders bringing you daily online content, exclusive interviews, studio visits, and spotlights on your favorite artists getting up today. Sold Magazine is compiled of a team of street art soldiers, and our mission is to bring original content to our readers, by artists and for artists. In the spray room, we'll be bringing out the lighter side of these artists, getting to know them in a less structured environment. Today, I'm here with Bite Girl and Brooklyn's own Big Ronnie. Hello. And Big Ronnie, why don't you tell us what's going on? Well, what's going on? We had a very busy day yesterday with Sold's first fundraising tour, uh, Audrey. How much fun was that yesterday? It turned out to be a lot of fun. Little we chilly. Had a good turnout, little chilly, but we kept moving. We saw a lot of art, and we actually got to meet and talk to three different artists on the street as we went, and everybody got some great giveaways and goodies to take home. And I think it was good for our first one. I think it was a success. I was a little embarrassed that uh, being a native New Yorker, you taught me things about my city I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, well. I know you were older and wiser. I latched on to the Italian part, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, when you're, you're in that neighborhood, you have to tell the story of the people that came through. So, And I'm a history geek, so it all works. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we sold some tickets. Uh, we're already planning the next one, so everybody check out the website. The next date we're going to do it is April 7th. And it will be, uh, it's going to be dope. I had so yeah. much fun yesterday. My feet hurt, Audrey. <laughs> How do you do it? That's a short walk. I do three of those a day, lots, many days. The free canvases and the free giveaways at the end was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't help noticing that, uh, people were, uh, you know, preferring which canvases they wanted. And, uh, one of the tour participants was, Notably had a screwed face when she didn't get a canvas from our next special guest today, Audrey. Who is it? It's Consumer Art. Hello. Love Spray. Woo-hoo. Mr. Love Spray. Oh, get it right, Audrey. Mr. Love Spray. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't remember writing that on the website. <laughs> so, uh, Consumer, uh, thank you very much for your contributions to the tour. It was a lot of fun. Um You've been a frequent contributor to Sold in the past, and we appreciate it. You've donated uh, very generously a bunch of canvases on uh, My Free Art Friday Days and our uh, our Sold-sponsored shows and things like that. So, uh, you know, why do you do it? Uh, first of all, I thank you for asking me to participate here today in this uh, discussion and talk, but I'm always grateful to be asked to participate, and uh, so it's like a gift to be able to give back. So thank you for asking. You're very welcome. <coughs> Now, Kaylin, um, when we, I guess it was about a year ago, it was a spring when we uh, did the little project on your roof. Mm-hmm. And in the planning of that was when I started talking uh, to consumer just about what was going on. I had a little project I thought something that we could work together on. And then I saw you had one of his pieces and the heart mm-hmm. and Kaylin Hart. And it made a lot of sense to me. And I thought I wanted to talk to you before we talk to consumer about hearts. Yes. Um, So that actually was my first piece that I purchased in the city um, from a New York artist, which is super exciting. Um, And yeah, I'm I'm super thankful for consumer because he's so wonderful at 
including up-and-coming artists and various creatives within the scene. Um, I have, I, I, I think I, I wouldn't be where I am today in this world without Consumer. He, he welcomed me in and introduced me to Big Ronnie and Erica and, and everyone else. So um, tell us a little bit about your, um, your mindset in, um, in, you know, including these young artists rather than, you know, we see ego stepping in sometimes. And tell, tell us a bit about that. Uh, well, I still feel like I'm a beginner, really, and I always want to keep that attitude uh, of a beginner because I remain teachable and humble and approachable. And so I want to kind of give back to others what was really freely given to me was support, ideas, suggestions, encouragements. And sometimes people tell me not to do certain things, too. And I really appreciate that feedback as well. So I just want to be like a middleman in that sense. It was given to me, and I want to go ahead and give it to the up-and-coming, quote-unquote, next generation of artists or beginners uh, because I still have a long way to go, and I need that kind of support, too. Now... Let's talk about collabs and working with other artists. A uh, couple of times in your studio, some of the, your favorite pieces were things that you did with other guys or other girls. Correct. Um, now, you're a primarily a spray stencil artist, correct? And mixed meter collage, but yeah. Okay. okay. So in your pieces, they're, they're structural. You, sure. you know what you're doing when you go into it. You know how many layers, you know what colors you're going to need, as opposed to someone, who, you know... Uh, uh, Freehand, freestyle. Yeah, or someone that's a little less structured in their process. So how do you take the structure and work with another artist well that maybe doesn't work that way? That's a really good question. I think the first time I ran into that was working with Senior Lasso. Um, and you guys are all pretty familiar with Senior Lasso, and his work is so colorful, and there's so much busyness going on in his work, abstract, and yet there are structured elements to it when you look closely, but it's much more, um, <clears throat> I don't want to say, I don't know, for lack of a better word, chaotic than my Frenetic. piece. And, uh, yeah, that's a good word, and... Um, <clears throat> What I found is it gets me out of my comfort zone because I have this idea and I have this this vision of a piece and I've had quite a bit of success, frankly, with that love spray piece and people have wanted to collaborate with me on that. Uh, but the first collab with Lasso was not based on the love spray piece, but it gets me out of my comfort zone and do something different. And I always find personally or artistically, professionally, creatively, whenever I get out of my comfort zone is when I grow. But it's that resistance that I naturally have to step out of that comfort zone that holds me back. Growth is never comfortable. If it is, it's no. not growth. It's, it's old hat. It's what you know. Well, but if you don't do that, it becomes a job. Unless you challenge yourself every day to do something new and different, it just becomes a job. And then why are you an artist? Yeah, I might as well get a big paycheck and benefits. Exactly. So let's talk about the love spray. Uh it's becoming iconic on the streets. We, it was covered in the, the tour on a couple of our st spots, and uh, you didn't have the forewarning of where we were going. You were just <laughs> there. Uh, some nice coverage out there. But where did, uh, you know, did you get up before you came out with that image, or did the image make you want to get up? The image made me want to get up. Uh, <clears throat> do you want to know how I came about the image? Is yes, that please. where we're going with this? Uh so I'm, I'm a daily meditator. I meditate a lot. And my biggest influences in my life in terms of creativity are pop art, 
and what Warhol's done, street art, what I see out there every day. Going back to how I saw Shepard Ferry cover these streets years ago before he became Obey, when it was just Andre Giant's face, I saw that everywhere, and I was like, "What? this is the 80s, yeah. and what the, what the hell is his face everywhere? What's going on? So I put that in the back of my head, and... Uh, so I, w- I meditated. One day I'm meditating about creating a piece about just where I am artistically, creatively, and, uh, and, and my two main influences being pop art and street art. And also like uh, karma, compassion, kindness, like spiritual teachings of the Buddha, if you will. And all that came together when I, when I designed that. I had it in my head first. But I feel like it already existed, and I was just like this vehicle to help it come through. Like... If I look at a tree, I could see a tree. We could see brown tree with no leaves. We could see a tree with green leaves and all kinds of different uh, textures on a tree. But it, within that tree, I could see the sun. I could see the clouds. I see the clouds and the rain. I could see the earth. So there's a lot into something than, other than just the final result. Um, and that's kind of what I was thinking of in my mind when that all came together for me. Now, <clears throat> the, the caution you have on there. Yeah. If I were editing you, which I'm not, but we are right now. Yeah. That's a benefit. That's not a deterrent. Isn't that a feature? It's not a warning. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. And I'm glad that you could see beyond uh, what's just physically written there. For my, for me, it's like a daily practice, right? I could say all these things, how I'm going to be kind and compassionate and generous and loving to others. But can I go out there day in and day out and really live that? And I feel like I am trying to learn how to do that every day. And art is one way in which that I can share some kindness, compassion, generosity uh, towards others. Now, one thing I thought was uh, very cool about Consumer, when he relaunched his website, there's a section on it specifically for requests for donations. He wants to make it easy for charitable organizations or fundraisers to reach out to him to get his work he's willing he's interested he's committed to it why uh well that's a great question i feel like um as i mentioned earlier like it's a gift to be asked to participate whether we're participating in this podcast right here right now participating in some soliciting gifts (laughs) no (laughs) no it's easy to shop and buy on the site and it's actually fill out the request for donation because there's like 15 different things i want to know before i say yes or no so anyway, but you could just click and buy a piece really easy. So, uh, no. But what's the website address? Artbyconsumer.com? That's it. <laughs> so anyway, what was the question? Where were we? <laughs> why, why, do I, why did I do that? Why do I, um, there are a lot of worthy organizations that are raising money, and now I guess like quote-unquote street art, whatever that is, is hot. It has value. Yeah, and it's hot right now. A lot of people are interested in it, whether it's big brands. You see what Coach has been doing with some street artists or the windows or, uh, Dude, you know. We're definitely going to get to that in a second. That's one of the reasons uh, uh, I'm excited about having Kaylin here today is her fashion focus in terms of street art. And, uh, you know, we usually don't see her this side of her upside right. She's usually <laughs> upside feet down. first, inverting, <laughs> pulling a move, some asanas. And uh, I want her to talk to you for a couple of minutes just about the sax opportunity, how it came about, fashion and street art, artists that are, you know, focused on it and primarily crushing it. And I'm just going to throw some guys out there like you, you know, like Dane and uh, uh, DD and Android and some of the people that, you know, are, are fashion 
focus. So, so Kaylin, why don't you get into the, uh, the, the SACS fund? Firstly, congratulations. This is a huge deal. Thank you. Your Thank work you. is shown right now for the past two weeks on the iconic Fifth Avenue, you know, Saks window, Saks Fifth Avenue windows. It's a huge deal for any artist, designer, or fine art. It's a it's a massive deal. So congratulations. Thank firstly. you. Appreciate that. Um, I'm curious how this came about and sort of how this process was for you. I know there were a handful of different artists in the windows: JPO, BD White, Senor Lasso. Um, how was it having all of these? you know, artistic personalities working on the same Very project. Very diverse. Very diverse group. Also, uh, Jeremy Penn and Phil Reese were the other mm-hmm. two artists that were involved. Uh, <clears throat> so at the very beginning of it was a shoot for Saks Fifth Avenue Spring Catalog, and they asked about 10 artists from the city, from the streets, uh, to paint these panels in meatpacking in a real cold couple days in December. Um, so we went into this loft, just gutted, on the second floor on uh, around Gansevoort somewhere and painted these panels and everybody had the freedom to do their thing. Most guys painted Sunday and Monday. I got invited to the party late. I was like the, literally the last one in and I got there painted Monday and into Tuesday when the fashion shoot started, I finished like five minutes before. So when I got invited in, it was by Phil. I think Phil was referred to me uh, by Senior Lasso. I don't think I had really much of a rapport or relationship with Phil prior to that. So I got there and I had to sign an NDA before I was told what it was. And I, told, I was told, bring some paint. So I did that. And I, I read the NDA and I said, okay, I'm in. I want to participate in this. Thank you so much for asking. You know, And I didn't know where it was going to go, what was going to happen. There were no promises made to me that I would end up in the windows of sex. I just said, this is a really cool project. Looked around at these artists and say, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to participate. And thank you. Um, So that's how it started off. Wonderful. So for the windows, did, um, so Good Luck Dry Cleaners was the the company that brought you in, right? Yes. Um, So did they give you guys all the theme? Wonderful. Of, um, you know, the color story and sort of the vibe or was it open-ended or... How did that process look like between Saks, the artists, and Good Luck Dry Cleaners? It was really a, a fluid process. There were no constraints or guidelines. They said, get some paint. If you need some paint, we'll buy some paint. What colors do you want? And uh, go ahead and do your thing. So I literally maybe had two hours of contemplation between signing the NDA and getting my paint and started painting. So I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, but I felt like... Um, just go ahead and, and create some art and see what happens, not knowing where, where it would lead to, where it would go. I love it. It's nice to have that freedom. Absolutely. It's rare. It's also challenging in a good way. It was in a very good way, but I felt like I didn't have too much time to worry and think about it. Exactly. I was really in the moment and like, okay, I'm just going to paint freely. Yeah. So as you touched on, um, Coach is doing the campaign with all these local New York street artists right now. Um, you know, Saks has you guys in the windows right now. Where do you see sort of this marriage of fashion and art, um, street art or art in general, um, moving in the future? Do you see them sort of collaborating more? I do see that happening more, but I'm also worried that at some point it's going to peak and it's going to come down. And you don't really know where the peak is usually in in the market and technology and housing. You don't know really where the bubble is until it pops. Right. 
So I don't know if this is we're in that right now and it's going to pop. Um, but that really doesn't concern me too much because my thing, I have a different model, I think, than a lot of artists. I figure out a model that works for me. But I'm also willing to engage in projects like this where it incorporates fashion in a creative way. Wonderful. Um, your use of iconic imagery um, within your work, you know, Kate Moss and Kendall Jenner, um, I'm curious as to your thought process behind that. Is it is it a commentary on sort of what our society finds to be important or, or do you just use them because they're beautiful women that people love to look at? I'm curious. I would love to use them because they're beautiful. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that on here? Maybe this could be I edited think out. Too. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, <clears throat> I guess. Uh, well, I used the Kendall. That was really primarily driven with the collaboration between myself and Senior Lasso, and that was for a specific client who had wanted uh, some iconic uh, current models. But I think there's a reason why we've all seen Kate Moss's face a zillion times over. Kate Moss sells. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. I don't care what product Kate Moss sells. I've sold, I've made, I think I've made 30 Kate Moss pieces and I have two left. Mm-hmm. So I've sold almost every Kate Moss piece I ever made. So is there something to that? Am I making the art just to sell it? Or I am, do I remember a time in the 80s when Kate Moss was the model and I was coming up in the 80s in this city? So it brings me back to a different point in my life too, referencing her in my work. But also is like some pragmatism there, like she sells. Right. In the end of the day, I think that's a big part of it. At the end of the day, you still have to pay rent. Yeah. The man has a dollar sign in his name. (laughs) We don't talk about sales. And we don't talk about why he's doing what he's doing and why the dollar sign in his name. I wouldn't be a business guy here, Audrey. We have to talk about money. Seriously. And I don't like talking money when it comes to art, but the man has a dollar sign in his name. I think, though, you, you probably are constantly thinking to yourself about what the line is and where, what you will do and what you won't cross. Um, and I think every artist at some point reaches that wall and has to decide what, they're, what they are happy with. I don't also think it's just every artist has to decide that. I think it's every person that goes to work for a paycheck and sits in a cubicle and hates their boss and is not challenged every single day and has an environment that's tough to work in. Everybody has to make that decision, especially in this city where money is so important. Mm-hmm. And so, where we're surrounded by advertising. Yeah, that tells us we need more next. So that kind of ties into how I got my name, the dollar sign, the money consumer. I feel like reflecting upon society and our education system pre-internet technology revolution, when you talk about like the industrial revolution and what our, what our system, the structure is set up upon, I felt like it was always having uh, obedient factory workers. No critical thinkers, don't stand out, behave yourself. And I went to some pretty good private schools, and that's really what I got out of it. I didn't really get to do critical thinking until I went to Stern School of Business at NYU. Conformity. Yeah. So now, though, I feel like the structure and the system and society and, and commerce and culture is set up to produce obedient consumers. And we're all told if you get the next shiny new thing, you're going to be happier. You'll feel better. You'll be cooler if you take this picture at this restaurant eating this fucking food. Uh, Whereas so I'm kind of making fun of it as a consumer because obviously we're so much more than a category uh, of consumers. So, But but let's let's talk about it from the business point of view here because uh, there's an irrefutable fact of business that if you're not the product – I'm sorry. If you're not the consumer, you're the product. For sure. So are you 
the social commentary or are you just another product and what's the difference? And that's a good question. I asked myself that because having that, that kind of perspective on like uh, being critical of a consumption based economy. Uh, yet I have found myself in Soho on Broadway trying to put another thing in someone's package or giving them a whole new package for money. So I'm participating in that. But uh, I have basic needs I need to have met in the city. You still have to pay rent. Yeah, for sure. I have a studio. I've got a cabin in the woods. I've got a dog. You know, I've got a lot that goes into What's breaking up, even. Hey, Cindy. She's here in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> um, per your note on Soho, I personally have seen you in the freezing cold, in the meatpacking, Chinatown, Soho, out there selling your work directly to your clients. Um, your work ethic, hats off. It Thank is, you. It is next to none. Um, but I'm curious about your approach towards working directly with the client as opposed to, you know, do you still work with galleries or do you prefer, you know, developing those relationships face to face in a world of crazy social media? I'm sort of curious about your take on this client relationship. I, uh, I approached my art and this going back to Ronnie's question about the business side of it. Uh, I have a degree from Stern in business. And when I started this, I looked at the business model. And a lot of artists don't look at a business model. A lot of artists have no clue. A lot Correct. of artists make great work and can't pay bills. Probably exactly. blow me away. Uh, and yet somehow I'm able to be self-sustaining from my art with never having an art class. Go figure, right? I never thought I would be here, really. But anyway, so I approached it from a classic business. Let me look at the business model and see if I can make something work. I've built and operated, sold two different independent businesses before. So I understand models and how they change. Um, and when I, uh, when I started doing this, I went right to the streets and got people's feedback, uh, directly of how much the worth my work was worth. Then I figured out in my mind how much those goods cost me to produce, how much time and was that a fair exchange. What I found at times is I put a price on something, say, you know, this was 50 bucks and people grabbed it right away without blinking. I said, wow, I undersold myself there. And I had that direct feedback from that one-to-one -one engagement with people. Then I went to 100 bucks and people balked. Then I found that middle ground at 75 bucks. Basic That's just retail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And having that face-to-face yeah. -face with people. And it's having the, the, the confidence yeah. to just engage people and present my work and be vulnerable in that way. So it was really fun. Uh, and not every day was rosy and big sales, but... Uh, I've got some good stories about a couple days here and there to tell you. So then moving on, as I, I wanted, like, as a, as a new emerging artist, you kind of want to have some acceptance in the market. Does that acceptance come from your peers? Does it come from customers? Or does it come from being in shows and having your art on a wall in a gallery? I don't know. I think I was looking for all of it, right, um, and seeing where I fit in in that whole scene. Having... Uh, Having been in part of some galleries, group shows, I've never had a solo show, but group shows, small group shows. I've been in, in shows as much as like 30 artists and as small as four. What I'm seeing now is I don't think the gallery model works for emerging artists. I don't think it does at all. And I think the gallery model is basically dead for a lot of art. Um, walking into galleries in Chelsea is not always a pleasant experience. It's awful. And it should be. Seeing art should make you feel something about the art, not about the surroundings. Here, here's my thing with, on this, Audrey. And you've been to more galleries than I have. Let me just be honest. <clears throat> What's the service? Exposure? 
because in order for a gallery to justify their commission, which is usually in the neighborhood of 40 to 50%, or in some cases I've heard more, they need to bring buyers. They need to bring collectors. They need to bring a constant flow of customers for the product. Otherwise, the internet does a better job of showing anything. Especially for emerging artists. I mean, once you have a name, of course, you can carry a gallery because you're going to sell pieces. But for people that haven't been seen, the gallery model is not really the way anymore. The way to be seen is through social media. It's a different, it's a different gig economy. Now, I'm going <laughs> to put our guest on the spot because I didn't tell him we were going to talk about this. And I didn't ask him if we could talk about this. But <laughs> he, also, he picked up a very interesting uh, potential customer a couple weeks ago. So a, a, a social media maven that he's working out a deal with right now. And it's because of social media that, uh, that he was exposed to this person. And, uh, you know, how did you do that and how can you do it again? That's a really good question. Uh, it was in that sax. We had a shoot with the sax. They actually shot all the street artists in uh, their clothes on one floor. And I think we're all going to be featured or group photos in the sax man, which is kind of crazy that I would end up in the sax man <laughs> <laughs> stream and social media. But uh, the gallery thing, the social media, it's a really the galleries used to be the gatekeepers to the artists. Right. And they were yes. the middleman between the buyers and the artists. The Much gallery like the news. Salon. Yeah. Uh, and now now because of social media, the Internet, your websites, Facebook, all the things that people have, uh, collectors and buyers can find emerging artists. But it's funny because I've done a couple of big commissions uh, and the prices I got for those commissions were because I had pieces in the gallery. And that those pieces in the gallery were, say, a smaller size, but they were priced gallery prices. So then I could then negotiate the bigger piece based upon the smaller piece size because people had the assurance. Yeah. And it's weird. Right. Um, But in the long run, I don't think that the galleries can provide enough buyers for emerging artists and sustain their business model, paying high New York rents and all the expenses that go into promoting shows. They come and go. Yeah. They don't last. I no. mean, it's a hard business to be in these days. I think any business in this city is really hard to be in with the cost of doing business in the city. I think a big part of the art market, um, you can even compare to the – I work in apparel, and it's similar. When people buy something, they want to feel something. You know, when you have an emotional attachment to a garment or to a painting – You know, when you know that the artist is wonderful and warm and kind and supportive, that makes you want to buy that piece. And when we can see your personality, when we can see Cindy on your Instagram, that makes me want to buy your work and support you rather than just a cold gallery. A personal connection. You can walk into a gallery and see a piece of art you appreciate, but you want it to own it when you know the history and story of the artist. Now, here's my here's my thought on this. You're absolutely right. Uh. You're not selling the steak. You're selling the sizzle. Yeah. 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 You're selling the experience. The experience. You're selling yeah. the, yes. I have this. I see this piece in the street, and now I have work from this artist. It's it's about the emotional connection. I think that's why you crush it on your uh, floor retail sales out on the high line and things like that, because the personal connection with your customer, seeing in their eye whether they like it or not, never mind the price. Everybody's got their price, your price in their pocket or in their in their Credit budget card, should yeah. they choose. But if you haven't sold them on what you're selling, 
doesn't matter what you're selling. If yeah, 100% you, if they don't smell right. The sizzle, they don't hear the yeah. steak coming. It's not going to work. And I've been asked to do, uh, and, and I'm always grateful, asked to do group shows. And uh, I've been in a couple pop-ups, like the one that was on Canal Street. It was four or five artists plus a fashion brand. With Donut. Yeah, Donut was there yeah, with yeah. Hollenberg Brothers in the little side booth. Um, the opening day, I sold more than they were able to sell for me when I wasn't there. It was my buyers that came, first of all, my followers, which is right. something else to consider, paying commissions for shows when I'm already selling to my own followers and buyers. That's one thing. Second thing is that no one can tell my story like I can tell my story. Yeah. So, yeah, people do buy from people. One uh, of my tour people bought one of your pieces because while that pop-up was open, I told everyone on the tour because it was just a block away from where we ended. Uh, thank so you. She bought one of your pieces. <laughs> It's, it's everything in life is about the personal connection relationships and, and everything yeah. so I think when you have that opportunity uh, it, it's perfect now don't you lose that online you're doing well online but how are you managing those are you I mean obviously people are pressing buy but are you getting uh, people reaching out uh, you know feeling out commissions or feeling out those types of bigger bigger pieces that happens more on the Instagram through direct messaging when they see something like sacks in the window sacks pieces in the window they're uh, eight feet by 16 feet I've never showcased anything that big before and so people are like oh you do work you do have scale to your work and blah 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 so people are more apt to engage me directly through Instagram through DMing uh, I actually probably sell more on Instagram through DMing than I do on the site. But when I look at the statistics of the site, it's all coming from the social media, which Instagram gives me this platform to engage people. I can show videos of process. People like to be engaged. Here's a behind-the-scenes shot of the studio. Here's a behind-the-scenes video of the installation of Saks. They're not just looking at the picture of the window. They're seeing no, they we were in the, the story. basement. Information that you can't yeah. find elsewhere. Yeah, they, they we were the in the story. basement Again, the showing them. Yeah, so yeah. Instagram is this incredible tool to provide that provides me this opportunity to connect to people. On It feels like, I think, a one-to-one connection because I manage my Instagram because I respond to all the DMs because people ask me about technique and process and new artists that are somewhere in South Carolina or whatever. And I say, hey, this is what I did. In the beginning, I went to YouTube videos. I went to a lot of shows, open studio tours. I engaged artists in their creative process, what inspires them. And I was just banking, 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 all that stuff. And I want to, going back to what we were talking about earlier, sharing it, passing it on to somebody else. So, uh, And this is from somebody who never had a Facebook account, who didn't like social media. But I see the value in what uh, Instagram provides for, for visual when artists. When used responsibly, mm-hmm. it's major for an artist. Yeah. Now, you said you ran two businesses. Let's talk about those. Uh, I know a little bit about them. One was legal. One was not legal. Okay. Now, (laughs) what did they teach you? Uh, So the first one was, quote, unquote, not legal. Actually, it's in a gray area. So um, I have formal business training. I worked on Wall Street as an institutional broker for a, a boutique investment banking firm doing biotechnology, information technology, private placements, secondary offerings, blah, 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 blah. Had enough of that and moved into the internet when the infrastructure was getting built out. The little infrastructure, the pipes, the data centers, and all that kind of stuff, when everything was getting outsourced, when people couldn't keep up with what was going on in-house, they outsourced it, and I capitalized on that. Left that. I didn't want to work anymore any, for anybody anymore. My personality is, too, is like that uh, I just have to do my own thing. 
Um, maybe I've got a little bit of ADD. I know the feeling. Yeah, and maybe I need to challenge. <laughs> Everybody at this table knows Pretty much, that feeling. Yeah, we're all kind of. I'm oh, speaking yeah. to the choir here, looking around the room. You can be an artist without that feeling. Uh, you can. You don't That's have to be an artist to, uh, to do that. So um, the first business I had, uh, this was at, at the time when online poker just started happening, when Chris Moneymaker won the World Series, a $40 buy-in tournament, and this guy wins seven million dollars and is the top of the poker world i've been playing poker competitively for quite some time was always the guy in the home group the home game that won the money uh most of the time so someone took us my group to a club in the city it was called ace point i don't know if you've ever been there it was yeah. uh what was that, 60th street 59th street yeah oh, somewhere no, around scores street. right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was there the night after the the last time they got closed down back then okay so yeah. Yeah, we, we maybe we were at the same table, didn't know it back then. And uh, we were riding back on the FDR into Brooklyn. And I turned to my friend Al and I said, if we don't open the first legitimate joint in Brooklyn, somebody else will. Because there's, there's the Italian mafia games, there's the Russian gangster games, there's the Chinese crazy, you know. But there's no, there was no place where everyday people could come sit and play this game. So I consulted with an attorney about the legality of it. What happens when I get busted? What's the consequences? Not if. Right, not if. Yeah, I but said when. when. I knew exactly. it was going to be a when. And, and we how had a many re- times can I get away with it? So, do you know guys know bridge? Years ago, the bridge game, I think oh, a bridge. I've played bridge all my entire life. Did you play in any tournaments in the city? Were you in any no, raids? No, 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 no. My grandfather was uh, the bridge player. I played it in Virginia. So, what happened was these bridge players got tired of getting their tournaments raided by cops. Cops came <laughs> in. Now, I think of bridge. I think of my parents I and grandparents' generation. Yeah. Exactly. Cops are coming and scooping the money. Awesome and that game. money goes for overtime and the prosecutor. I mean, it's, it's a scam. Uh, property confiscation is a scam as it relates to the police department, but that's a whole other issue. Oh, yeah. So, the bridge players got tired of this and they said, we're going to fight it. They fought the case all the way to New York State Supreme Court, and the state Supreme Court ruled that bridge is a game of skill and not chance. Very much. Therefore, gambling laws don't apply. In my mind, as a student of poker, game theory, I understood that poker mimics that, but I didn't want to be the one establishing case law. (laughs) He's not an attorney, people. He's a businessman (laughs) and an artist. So that was the poker. I built that, operated, and sold it after two raids. The judge, the first time in Red Hook Community Court, the judge laughed at the charges and said, you guys are here for poker? So obviously, I think we had a poker playing friendly judge. Uh, Just don't get in trouble. Don't do it again. I sold the place and I moved to Philly and did the cafe and I brought it. My club was in Red Hook. So I brought a little bit of Brooklyn to Philly and I called my cafe Red Hook Coffee and Tea. I was trying to find a name at this time in Philly when the whole speak English only thing broke out. And my first choice for a name was Dos Australis, means two stars in Spanish. I'm not Spanish, but I thought we could have a really cool logo for hats, for T-shirts, for mugs. And the whole thing, speak English only. I Philly is, oh, anyway, I'm not going to talk bad about Philly now. We're not here for that. I could spend a whole <laughs> podcast on that. However, um, I thought, let me just have a simple, clean name where I can have a cool logo. So, And I brought a little bit of something Brooklyn to Philly, brought them some flavor. Well, and Red Hook is... It's it's so Brooklyn, and yet yeah. it's, it's also isolated in its own way. It's one of the few places in Brooklyn that's still identifiable. But that's changing too with development. Yeah. Oh. 
I know. Speaking of changing, yeah. What are the what are the spots that you want to hit? What are the places that you want to get to? Let's let's talk street up before I say what galleries you want to get into or anything silly like that. But <laughs> if you're going bigger and you're you're hitting sax walls with BD White, Mister Fancy, yeah. Uh, you that's... know what's what what's the the right setting for you next? So I don't want to skim past that setting with BD White there in that window. So being asked to participate in a sax project that was leaning towards the catalog was quite humbling, with no guarantees that my wall my pictures would be part of the catalog and their advertising campaign just to ask to participate is something else right it goes from the uh catalog stuff into the speakeasy we did a speakeasy in Saks for like nine days had seven parties they were out of control first night i was able to get a a, a commission from um jeremy's agent uh jess jess got a commission for me and met a couple other relationships two more sales invites to other shows that was on the first night and I went five out of seven or seven out of nine, whatever it was. Um, so that's going on. I had a big presence in the speakeasy. Both of my panels were in there. So then there was whispers that they were going to give us windows. Again, nothing. None of this was promised. These two guys, I can't believe they pulled off what they did, uh, Jeremy and Phil. And uh, I think maybe in reality, in hindsight, they probably should have had a personal assistant each and, the, and a project coordinator and, and a real infrastructure. No infrastructure. Here we are going to the Saks windows. I look. And, and I'm asked to do a, a, a window at B.D. White. And how humbling and awesome and cool is that? I met B.D. at his show at Castle Fitzjohn's in the summertime. The work was just out of this Phenomenal. world. As a stencil Literally artist. out of this world. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Great way to describe astronauts floating in space, exactly. right? And uh, I was so blown away as a stencil artist. He, he's like... Galaxies ahead of me. Yeah, 80 layers of stencil. I could think now about 10. Are we going to keep going with the space references? Galaxies yes. And, and uh, so introduced myself to BD. He couldn't have been any cooler with me. And I stepped away. It's his show. And I didn't talk to him much then. Got to meeting another time with Ronnie. And uh, always been a fan of his work since I was introduced to him. Uh, Ronnie and I went and visited for a gift one time. Did a little exchange. And then uh, they're asking me to share this window of BD. And it was quite, it was like, it was like one of those moments you have in your life where you're like, how did I get here? And I'm in the windows and, and we're, I'm working with BD White. I look over, there's JPO, there's Jeremy Penn, there's Senior Lasso, there's Phil. And I even know BD's assistants. And I'm looking in the windows like, I know everybody in here. And how fucking cool is it to be part of this? Such gratitude uh, to do that window with BD. Couldn't have come. And he could not. I got to say, and BD for his level and where he's at and the struggle that we had like with the logistics could not have been more professional. BD and JPO, those guys could have come in as prima donnas and said, wait, you're not ready for us. Send a car when you're ready. <laughs> Pretty much, you know. <laughs> They could not have been more professional and methodical in their approach, and I got so much out of that just observing their approach to this process, uh, let alone the creative side of it. So, yeah, that's how that came together. So, on, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Caitlin. Um, I'm curious on the actual um, the planning of your window. So did you have it sketched out, where you wanted the cans to be, where you wanted you know, the teal canvases and, and where the astronaut was going to go? Was this, like, diagrammed out, or did you just sort of take everything into the window and wing it? Or That would have been great if we had a project manager or a project coordinator. We mm -hmm. could have actually have sketched out. This literally all came together in the window. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I got invited to put my panels that I created in the window, and I had no other feedback. I went to my studio, and I just started painting shit. And I said, I'm just going to paint a bunch of stuff. 
and I'm going to bring the stuff I like the most into the windows as accessories because they're really the focal point in that window is BD's astronaut with my backdrop. And I right. said, well, how can I incorporate that? And so we had the cans floating, the love spray at like they're in space, gravity free. And then let me put some little pieces to accessorize. They literally happened in the moment. But I really feel like that's what it's all about for me is being in the moment. I feel like when I do take care of myself on a physical level, when I've eaten right and slept right and I have a right spiritual, you know, like like I've been taking care of myself in that aspect, I can be in this moment with you guys right here, right now, or when I'm creating something or when I'm putting a display together with other artists. So that all came together in the moment. Wonderful. Did this project make you want to work more maybe in the, the window sphere or maybe work with another retailer in the future? Um, or, or was it sort of just one project and you want to move on? Or This project makes me uh, want to challenge myself in ways in which I could put my art my creative process or as just being involved, uh, not necessarily saying I want to work with fashion, I want to work with retailers, but it's making me think outside my little box, if you will, or my own personal business model that I know works for me. Um, so yeah, I, I do want to work in other ways and I want to be open to that. I don't know what those ways are yet, but I'm certainly open to invitations. All right, let's switch direction from Saks. Um, uh, everybody's heard the expression uh, good good artists borrow great artists steal love it and it's hard to have a new idea today and everything is derivative of what's come before and 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 so I have the mindset of if you rip off something that is been ripped off like Warhol's uh, soup cans he didn't invent Campbell's soup he just made it pop art and he put it on walls and it was people had not done that or seen that or tried that before and it, it, it is what it is but Audrey told me a story about uh, a really famous piece in Bushwick, uh, Owen Dippy's Keith Haring Raphael mashup. The street art Madonna, yes. And tell that story, Audrey, if you don't mind. So there's a piece in Bushwick done by Owen Dippy, and it is a Madonna holding the Radiant Child or the Radiant Christ by Keith Haring. Um, and I wanted to know more about the specific Madonna, and I found it's based on a Madonna by Raphael. Reading about the Madonna, I found out that Raphael actually said that he copied Da Vinci and Da Vinci style when he created that Madonna himself. So if they've been doing it for 500 years, why should we stop now? Not why should we stop now. That's not the but, question. Well, but that's the, it's the right story. The, the so that's a rhetorical question, though. Right. Right. It's not, that's not a question meant to be answered. Basically, what it says is that this is something that's always been part of art that art is always about speaking to what's going on in the world around, bringing that into art, translating it into new mediums sometimes, but still it can be the same message or the same image, just taking it somewhere new. So how do you, how do you draw the line between what's okay to steal? I don't know if it is stealing, first of all. Um, I've been involved in banking, I've been involved in technology, I've been involved in art, I've been involved in small businesses. You don't take the knowledge, like, like technology, for example, builds on technology. Mathematics, science builds upon science. Fashion builds upon fashion. 
why can't art build upon art? What's come before it? I mean, how many times do you see the 70s look comes around again, bell bottoms and mm-hmm. flares and all that shit, or the 80s are hot. You go to Urban Outfitters. Is it 1986 or is it 2018? Like, I don't know. It looks like it's the same shit they had 30 years ago, right? And doesn't it, aren't these things cyclical? Technology, art, fashion, business. So I'm taking an image or that particular artist is taking that something has been presented. Exactly. Usually, though, these things are well-received images, and then they are reinterpreting them for the modern age. Well, a lot of people uh, straight up rip off uh what do they call it? Public domain images, yeah. old historical archival photos that are now nobody can speak to them because they were never famous then, and yada yada. So if that's okay, and obviously a photograph is art, why isn't what was done with a a, a paintbrush or a spray can or things like that? So I I, uh, I intentionally said the word steal, and I wanted yeah. you to say I don't. It's not stealing. Right, right. So where do you draw the line on you personally in your brand awareness and your marketing brain and your street presence? Where do you draw the line between what's interesting or okay to borrow and what isn't? So I've used several different Kate Moss images. I wouldn't take a Kate Moss images that was selling Supreme and recreate that image that was selling Supreme. That's not adding anything new or current to the image. I'm just repackaging the same thing over and over. So what really I'm taking from Kate Moss is that beautiful face. doesn't matter what clothes she is or isn't wearing. It's that face that sells, whether you're selling Supreme, whether I got a love spray in the piece, and I'm introducing my love spray via Kate Moss to a whole new market of people. Now, uh, do you care whose photographs they are in those famous, super famous shots and things like that? Uh, usually when you search in Google, you can look for tools, public domain, open kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am now beginning to work with photographers who have original content. Very cool. Doing one right now. Yeah, I'm doing one right now with um, with the Warhol show. It's a charity show from Karen. I met through the uh, Good Luck Dry Cleaners crew, Karen Beistat. She's got original Warhol Warhol photographs, and I actually have one in my studio right now that I'm incorporating his work, his iconic images, and where I feel I'm going with the love spray, making it, and this may sound egotistical and crazy, but I feel like I can make this as iconic as a soup can. If I can't, I'm going to die trying in my art career. Very cool. Now, let's let's, let's touch on the the fashion again. Uh, Audrey, who are some of the the favorite people of yours on the street that were either fashion focused or uh, oh. completely, uh, you know, using it in this subject matter and things like that? That's a tough one for me because honestly, I'm not so in tune with some of those artists that came from the fashion world. So I'm not going to name names, but I have to say that on that edge, I love Dane's work. Um, I love that a lot of the photo images he uses are his own. Um, I love the colors and the pop aesthetic, and yet they still have a little bit of fashion to them. I liked some of the, back a couple of years ago when they did the great egg hunt, Mm. there were a couple of the fashion designers that actually did eggs that were rather brilliant. Mm. So, but as far as some of the artists that were were fashion designers that are now street artists or combine the two, I'm not necessarily fans. How about you, Kaylin? I love what Android Oi is doing right now um, with... You know, it'll be a female figure. Maybe we recognize her. Maybe we don't. 
Um, but he's then coming back and layering on with, he uses a lot of roses in his imagery. Um, he does some figure drawing, collaged with images, and he's also working with some new photographers to get original content. Um, and yeah, I love what he's doing. It's, it's, he's also a poet, um, so knowing his poetry um, paired with his artwork, I'm just, he's in the, you know, in, with this current um, body work he's working on, it's, it's in its early stages, so I'm really excited to see um, where he goes with it. How, how about you, consumer? Who were some of the people that you saw on the street that were, uh, you know, fashion focused, not necessarily pop? I'm drawing a blank. I real aside from Dane's uh, work, I don't think I'm. Listen, I'm a Vans. And, a Phoebe. What about Dee Dee? Oh, okay, all right, yeah, I but I don't think I don't think of fashion. fashion. No, I think Phoebe is like a Phoebe personal statement like, therapy. Uh, where she's at in her love life sometimes I feel like comes yeah. out through her work. Phoebe uh, is more about empowerment. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm a Vans and Levi's kind of guy. And the sort of fashion world really is like, I think sometimes I miss it, quite honestly. Uh, do you because do women? Why not uh, go for the uh, Marlboro Man if that's your aesthetic? <laughs> yeah, well, right now uh, I'm doing uh, an Andy Warhol. So I don't always do women. Um, so, yeah, I think Warhol would be the first. But, no, I have – I just cut a stencil, uh, my first Biggie stencil. I cut an Elvis stencil. Uh, I have so many things coming out for the streets for the spring. I haven't even put them on my Instagram or my site yet. So I cut a Biggie. I cut a um, uh, uh, an Elvis. Um, I cut a Warhol. Um, and now I'm doing a collage Warhol. So there are some men coming down the pipeline for Very sure. Cool. But I think <clears throat> women and their beauty probably outsell men in our handsomeness with when it comes to exceptions. art. Yeah, with probably very few exceptions. Okay, so one of the things we ask all of our guests is what would you r recommend to upcoming artists, people that are starting out today, 2018, don't put them in your shoes, like give give a couple of tips that you think you could help out the average averaged artist starting out today with. Um, I would suggest um, maybe going to art school. Uh, I didn't go to art school and I didn't learn a lot of technique. So it took me quite some time to get my idea and my technique together. But going back to like the copy thing, now I've only heard about art school, but I heard when you go to art school, you recreate a lot of what's already been done because they're teaching you technique. So I didn't have that advantage of, of technique. So I would say that's probably pretty helpful if you don't maybe major in art that you have practice in a class and a group of people because in that learning environment with your peers that's probably greater than what you're getting from the teacher unless there's a See, that's interesting advice you're basically saying practice things that you don't want to be good at that you don't want to be good at right because well if, if, if uh, up, up and coming sticker guy or or writer mm. you know that's you're telling them to pay, practice doing things that they wouldn't normally incorporate to expand the mind build the synapses you know, build the muscle, make new connections, yeah. learn to use learn the, the rules and learn the rules. So I always break them. Yeah. I always like that's. A, I'm glad you said that because that's the first, when I look at a system, I automatically look, how do I exploit it or get away with getting around it quickly? And I didn't have that basic fundamental teachings of, of an art school. So I think, you know, in that kind of structured curriculum is helpful. Uh, but for me personally, my own path, and that's really what I could speak of. I went to so my closest friends are artists. Two of my close, I got. I'm so rich in like friendships. I have four friends that I could call two in the morning and two in the afternoon, go through whatever. Two of those guys are artists, 
and two of them have been free with me about their creative process and their inspiration. And I went to so many shows. I don't care what kind of shows, performance art, bands, uh, open gallery shows, open studio tours, um, painters, welders. I mean, every kind of medium. And I always talk to them about them and their process. And people love to talk about themselves. If you engage somebody about what makes them tick and how they act and what's inspiring them, they tell you free. They've told me freely. So I would definitely suggest because say I'm a stencil artist or a collage artist. Why not talk to a welder? Why not talk to a pottery maker and understand how they see the world in 3D and their sculptures? Because maybe I can integrate some of that creativity into a piece. And I don't know when, but I'm banking. We're we're sponges and we're banking all this knowledge and information and we apply it in our lives, right? So, yeah, I would say get outside of your comfort zone and your medium and go to all kinds of creative endeavors and support them all. Poets, writers, performance, dancers and athletes and entertainers. Yeah, absorb it all. Now, how do you deal do – you, do you deal with any haters of stencils? Uh, I think there are a couple people who don't see uh, the value of that. But my, my approach to stencils, I'm not a great technical drawer. I don't have any technical drawing training. But if I'm able to get together a stencil through Photoshop or other programs or Illustrator, I can recreate that over and over the way that I see it in my mind, right? And uh, I could do it quickly and fast. And that's part of my model. How can I how can I sell an affordable piece of art for fifty dollars and not spend three hours on it? There are people who can paint much better than I, draw much better than I, but they can't get the value back out of the art because it's taking you seven hours to make that, but the market's only gonna give you forty bucks. I, I wouldn't do that as a career. If something yeah. you know, yeah. it just doesn't make logics to me. No, it doesn't uh, pay the rent. My boy Leaf told me when I, I showed him some stencils that I was working with I don't know, a year or so ago, he goes, you know the best way to keep your stencils clean? I'm like, oh, here we go. I know what it is. I know what it is. Don't use fucking stencils, dick. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. So I use stencils. It's my business model, and uh, it works great for me. And uh, But I use stencils on such a simplistic level when you're talking, when you compare to B.D. White. No, you can't. Yeah, but 100 layers? Come on. So now I'm thinking in 7 or 10, my goal is now, can I get to a 15-layer image in my mind? And that's inspiration from BD, you know, when someone's thinking that far ahead. So, yeah, I love it, and I'm going to continue to use them and utilize them and work. Whether I'm using mixed-media collage in a piece that I'm doing now and integrating stencils or a little bit of freehand, for sure. I think it's the most effective way for me, someone who's not the most skilled artist, to put out a consistently good product. Consistent. That's what stencils do. Yeah. Um, All right, brother, uh, we're going to wrap it up. Why don't you throw out, uh, you know, website where people can find you, some upcoming uh, attractions, shows. Dream collab. Oh, dream collab. That's a great question. Yeah, we'll save it for next time, though. Okay. Um, So the upcoming show I have, uh, so the the Saks Windows, today is the last day. I don't know how quick this podcast turned around, but today is the last day the Saks Windows were deinstalling on Monday. I'm delivering a commission on Monday, Tuesday night. Uh, there's a Cookies for Kids charity. It's a it's a cancer charity that helps raise money to fund less toxic uh, treatments for kids with cancer. So it's a really, really good cause, and they've raised millions and millions of dollars. Uh, and I can't remember the exact location, but I think it's on one of the pier uh, spots that hosts events on the west side. Um, so that's where I'll be Tuesday night. Uh, and what's next? Um 
the inventory for the spring. That's been a big part of my work. These projects that I've been asked to participate in with SACS and these other things uh, kind of really take me off my focus. And my focus for the whole winter time is to produce a really big body of work and not to go into a gallery, but to sell directly to my end user, my end customers face to face. The biggest, my typical customer is a tourist from Europe. She's 32 years old. And so that, that's like a big part of my drive. It's very is, true. Yeah. Who am I going to sell to and what's going to appeal to my typical customer, a European tourist? Where can, uh, where can people find your work? Uh, artbyconsumer.com, consumer art on Instagram. And when the weather warms up nowadays, I'm no longer in the streets when it's cold. So Kaylin can't bring any coffee or anything, but uh, a hug is always welcomed. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Kaylin, how'd she do today? This was her first podcast. You know, I could not have uh, picked anybody else who I wanted to participate in my first podcast in Kaylin. So thank you for being here with me today and making me feel a little more comfortable mm -hmm. doing this because this is my first podcast. Audrey, say goodbye. Bye. Have a nice day, everybody. Bye.